Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Tactical Yanks podcast, your podcast for soccer in America and around the world. I'm your co-host, Pete Douthit, and I am joined by my fellow co-host, Filippo Silva, and welcome to the Tactical Yanks podcast. Hopefully you enjoy. We'll be talking about U.S. soccer, European soccer, South American soccer, the World Cup, and much more. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Tactical Yanks podcast. Today, we have a very special episode because it's the first one post-camp, and those are always special because I said so. I am your co-host, Filippo Silva from Tactical Manager TV, and I'm joined by Pete Douthit, the also a co-host of the channel, of sorry, of the podcast, and from 11 Yanks on YouTube. Pete, we made it through another camp, the first one of this cycle. We did. The first actual camp, not Camp Cupcake, of the cycle. And honestly, it was an enjoyable camp for me. I don't remember enjoying a camp that much in a long... I mean, obviously the World Cup, but a non-World Cup camp, for me, that was the most enjoyable one uh, for lots of different reasons, which we'll get into. But I thoroughly enjoyed that. Yeah, I thought... I think there's a lot... So just so everyone knows, there's a lot for us to talk about today. We're going to recap the camp. We're going to talk about a little bit of what I saw personally. I met with a lot of the players and I was there at the hotel training session. So I'll talk about a few things that I saw that we I didn't really say it on Twitter or the vlogs or anything. So it'll be the first time everyone hears about it here. Uh, we'll talk about Pepe because I think it is relevant that he was left out of the World Cup roster and what he did this camp compared to other center forwards that were prioritized. And then we're going to close this podcast talking a little bit about Anthony Hudson and the big picture coming up this summer. Things to look forward to, what we liked about Hudson, Hudson's style with this team, roster selections. And again, Pete, we're not saying Hudson in here. We're just going to say what was the good and the bad, and it's not all bad. It was an enjoyable camp overall. Yeah, 100%. So, Pete, quick recap. Why don't I let you start off with that one? So we start off against Grenada, right, away from home on a not great field. We've seen worse, but it wasn't a great field. And I think that impacted us a little bit, especially in the opening minutes of the game. I think the first 15 minutes, even though we were getting goals, you could see the fluidity of the passing wasn't quite there and took the boys a little bit of time to adjust the field. But once they did, it was a very enjoyable performance. You know, it is still our, it set a new record, our largest away win ever in the history of the program. So yeah, it's still Grenada. But we faced many minnows uh, away from home many times, and we still never were that dominant. And so that was really enjoyable to see. Lots of people getting on the goals. You know, the, the, 
just add, sorry to interrupt, just to add one context too. Grenada tied El Salvador in Grenada. Yeah. Just adding that. Okay. Yeah. And, um, you know, we beat Grenada at home 5 0, but that is at home, a very different story. 7 1. What did I enjoy most about that game? Uh, I enjoyed the formation, the 4 2 3 1 formation. We don't know if Anthony Hudson would have gone with the 4 2 3 1 if Adams wasn't injured. So I guess the future will tell us that when Adams is there, what does he do? But it was, I think, a good response to Adams going down. And it also allowed us to play Gio at the 10, which was the first time in the program that we saw him play the 10, which was something we'd been asking for for a long time. And I think he showed why he should be the 10 for us. Um, I also think he unlocks Pulisic a little bit. I think that when Gio is there, Pulisic has more time and space to operate and he can combine better. You know, they interchanged quite a bit in against Grenada, right? Sometimes Gio would go wide, Pulisic would come inside. It wasn't Gio's best game against Grenada, but he showed flashes of why we think he can be a special talent. And I think it was important to see that. It was important to try a different formation. I was worried we were just going to run out another 4-3-3 Berhalter ball, but it wasn't Berhalter ball. It was a very fluid interchanging of positions. There was a lot of freedom, willingness to create and to improvise. And I, I think that really does suit a national team, especially our national team that has a lot of talent, but talent that at least you and I, and I know many fans feel, has always been a little bit held back by very rigid tactical systems under Greg Berhalter. Yeah, I mean, when you have 250 instructions to remember before you make a move, you're going to freeze for a second, right? And that millisecond, two milliseconds right there that you have to think something extra, it doesn't really help. And of course, at the club level, when you... When you constantly practice that, it becomes automatic for players, right? Pep Guardiola's positional play system that he does, he's always with the players for multiple months. It becomes automatic for them. And that's why sometimes it takes a while for some players to adjust under Pep Guardiola, like a full season. They always struggle sometimes the first season, then they get it going the second season, except for players named Erlen Holland, because that's just completely different. But for the national team, it's very hard to implement that. So like you just said, Anthony Hudson, giving the players more freedom and just letting them kind of like, look, we're the more talented side here. You guys have to go play, build chemistry because the players are going to learn to play with each other and get the best out of each other, which we're going to talk about like their personal relationship very soon too um, because there's like those rumors of bad blood among players and things like that. So we'll address that in a second. And then we went to the El Salvador game, Pete, an, an opponent that... We faced the last three games we faced when we were still under Greg Berhalter. We tied them away twice. One was 0-0 in World Cup qualifying. The other one was 1-1 in the CONCACAF Nations League group stage, the first ma- the first round, right? The first like camp of this Nations League. And we tied them in the last minute. It was like a Jordan Morris header. And we tied El Salvador away. And then we played them also at home in World Cup qualifying. And we got a 1-0 win, uh, which... It could, there were chances for us to score a few more goals, but it's kind of complicated to score more when that game, if I'm not mistaken, Jesus started and then I think Zardes came in for him. So yeah, it becomes a bit complicated when you don't have a center forward that is as competent as Ricardo Pepe, per se, which we're going to address in a second. Nevertheless, we beat El Salvador just 1-0. So that was a bit, uh, that was a bit of a disappointment for me, especially seeing the lineup and how he played. But... There's some context to be added, right? Gio Reyna hit the post. 
that's one. So that's very close to a goal. It wasn't a high probability shot. The the place he shot wasn't a place that normally players score. It's hard to score from that place, but he hit the post. So that was very close. He was also very involved in the buildup, right? He started yep. that play, swap passes, Pulisic fed him very nicely down the left, you know, and then he cut inside on the player again and created his own space to get that shot off. It wasn't like he got the ball passed to him in a, in a you must score zone and hit the post, mm -hmm. right? He created a lot of that himself. Yep. And then Ricardo Pepe scored a beautiful goal, which was a beautiful very nice goal. pass from Weston McKinney and a beautiful finish from Pepe. But unfortunately, Pepe had two more chances that I thought at least one, one of them he should have scored, right? There were two that he could have. One was deflected and the other one, the goalkeeper saved. It was almost like a one-on-one. -on -one. They were good chances that in a very good day, he would have scored two goals in this match. In a perfect day, he would have had a hat trick, but that's not what you would expect. Players miss yeah. chances. One of them was deflected. The other one wasn't actually that easy because it went over his head and he took it down really nicely with one touch. He just stuck his left boot out and took it down. And then by the time he was able to get that shot off, he took it down, but it was very close to him. So he didn't get enough power on it. He still managed to hit the target and the goalkeeper came out and made himself big. I wouldn't really call that like a miss or a... No, no. Um, I, I didn't say it was... Or maybe I did say as a miss, but I didn't mean it as a miss. I meant I meant that he had two chances right there, or opportunities that, in a very good day, if it's a lucky day for Pepe, he would get like a brace or hat trick. Those chances could have gone in, right? Yeah. Obviously, it would have been a little bit out of the norm because players miss chances. Obviously, they don't, don't score every single chance you get. Yeah, but I'm just saying we had a ball that hit the post from Gio Reyna. We had two great chances with Pepe. Pulisic had a moment with Luca De La Torre that was like a Harlan Globetrotter moment where De La Torre like juggles it and gives it to Pulisic and he hits a nice, even a nice volley. It was a tough volley for Pulisic and it goes over the post. That could have been a goal. Uh, Weston McKinney also had a wide open header that he yeah. chose to try to cross it. I understood his thought there, but he probably should have gone for the goal. And if, if you're that did, close to the goal with the keeper, you have to head towards goal. Just put it yeah. on target. So, and then Wes had that. So it was 1-0, but despite the first half that was kind of poor, mostly because of individual performances, right? Pulisic was not having the best days and Dejas wasn't having the best day. DK is probably not the best center forward to start with this group. Uh, besides that first half, it's a game that could have easily been 2-3-0. And it's not because of finishing variants that, that Matt Doyle will come out. It was really, we created good chances. There were good chances. Hitting the post is a little bit of unlucky, un being unlucky in that specific moment. So, also, Serginio Dest should have had a penalty in the opening minutes. That is true. In the box. You mm -hmm. know, we saw that with Geo too against uh, Grenada. We should have had two more penalties in this camp. That would have made it 10 goals in two games, you know? Well, the Dest penalty could have led to us getting way more goals this match because El Salvador right. would have opened up earlier. Yeah. Because yeah. Hugo Perez was, they were attacking, they were trying to attack, but he was playing very safe for most yeah. of the game. And then obviously as we scored, he opened up a bit more. That's why we even ended up getting a couple more chances after that goal, right? I mean, we had X amount of chances until Pepe came in, and then he scored. And then Pepe alone had almost the same amount of chances that we had throughout the game. Uh, but but we beat them. We got the two wins. We qualified to the Nation League semifinals. By the time everyone's watching this, they will already know who we're going to face. Mexico, Canada, Costa Rica, Panama. We're recording this on Tuesday early, so... We don't know who we're going to face. Don't worry. We're going to do a podcast recapping that and talking. But, Pete, we quickly recapped what happened this camp, and we're off to Vegas. We're going to play there in June. It's going to be fantastic. But why don't we talk about Ricardo Pepe for a bit? 
right? I, I do want to talk about Pepe. I just want to say one more thing about these two games. Yep. The other piece of context that I think is important is it was the first time we we ran out a new formation, 4-2-3-1, right? The first time Moose and McKenney or Moose, uh, McKenney and De La Torre played together in a double pivot. The first time Gio got the 10, the first start for Zendejas, the first time DK really played with this group. So I think you have to take that into consideration too. We're doing something new and something different and it isn't going to be perfect from the get-go, but we're giving them reps with a new formation and overall it does seem to be working. Like five, six games later, I think it's a way more fluid team, even more than what we saw if you keep that going. Yeah, I want to add one thing um, to what you said. I was gonna, I was holding this take for the Anthony Hudson section, but since you brought that up, I'm just going to say it right now real quick. Uh, you talked about how maybe he tried the 4-2-3-1 without Tyler Adams, right? That might have been the reason. Even if it was, props to him because there were multiple occasions with Greg Berhalter that Tyler Adams was not available. And what he would do was he would just shove Kellen Acosta right there and hope that he would play at the same level as Tyler Adams. He wouldn't try something different. He wouldn't try to pay a Weston Musa double pivot or Weston and De La Torre with a, possibly a Brendan Aronson or even a Gio Reyna playing as a 10. So even if the only reason he did that formation was because Tyler wasn't available, which, by the way, Tyler probably won't be available for the summer. Uh, he's no. done for the season for Leeds, and I think they'll probably take it easy during the summer. Even if Tyler was the reason he tried that, he tried it, which Berhalter had chances to try things like that. And he wouldn't even like – like it was very rare to see Berhalter try different formations, different systems. And then sometimes he would try a back three, but then it would be like a hybrid back three where he would still set yeah. up in the four, three, three. And yeah. it was just like a back three in a certain phase of play. Right. It wasn't like the actual formation. And then I think we saw Berhalter once try like two up top in the gold cup. And then he put like DK and Zardes, which is like the worst combination you could put. They yeah. don't really blend in together very well. So, Props to, to Hudson for doing that. And we never got Gio Reyna at the 10 during the entire Burhalter era, not even once. No. And the more I watch Gio Reyna is this guy is not a winger. The way no. he, he doesn't have the explosiveness to be a winger, doesn't have the style of play to be a winger. That's not his position. No. Uh, sure, you can play him there. And I mean, he'll play and he'll do fine, but that's really not how you get the best out of him. Um, and I do have one thing to mention before we go to Pepe. That Weston McKinney through ball to Pepe uh, is what I criticize Tyler Adams so much for, right? When someone says, Tyler, that's not his job to be good on the ball, right? But that's what I talk about, a player that can defend. But in certain moments when he is open, when there's an opportunity, he is capable of doing something like that. While with Tyler Adams, I don't know if you agree with me, uh, obviously – he is, if he tried, I think he could get it from time to time. I don't think he'll be as good as Weston at it or as an elite central defensive midfield in the Premier League. But I just don't see Tyler even trying that. I don't see him trying ever, putting a through ball, which is why even his stats of assists, goals, everything, it's, it's very low. It doesn't try anything. It won't try a long shot. won't try anything. And I understand that's not the best part of his game and he wants to always play it safe. But I think that... If you want to be a successful team, you need to have players that take risks like that. And look at McKenney. He's not McKenney's also not perfect in terms of being on the ball. It's not his strength playing on the ball. But he's capable of doing those passes. Eunice Musa is too, if he wants to. We've seen it. Yeah. 
Yeah. That is my big criticism with Tyler Adams. Uh, do I think he should be benched for the U.S.? As of now, no. I still think Tyler is a starter. Uh, I'm not going to overreact to one camp against Grenada and El Salvador. Some people might start to say that very soon because we have the tendency to do that. But no, Tyler Adams is still a starter for us, a locked-in starter for us. But I just wanted to point that out. That's what I usually mean about being good on the ball or not. Is like a player with that ability to, you know, that, that kind of decided the game. That's why we won. It was that pass. Yeah, I, I would love to see in the future a double pivot again just with Adams and McKinney with Gio in front of them because I think then Adams can do more of the defensive responsibilities mm -hmm. which honestly McKinney had to take over a lot in this camp but then it also frees up McKinney a little bit more to go forward support Gio support Pulisic be more goal dangerous right in the way that we know he can be so I think that might actually end up being our best midfield trio and then you still have guys like Musa and De La Torre coming off the bench in midfield which honestly is great you want quality talented players coming off the bench we don't need to try to cram as much talent as we can into you know the team where this is going to be a problem more and more right if you have Wea and Pulisic on the wings then you have Booth Zendejas Aronson guys like that ready to come on if you need it you know you know you know what I think is more of like a me problem than anything I feel like what I'm starting to notice is I like players that are always dangerous on the ball there's always something so uh, I don't like having players that play on my team that the opponent will let them have the ball. It's like, I'm just that guy, you let him, you let him have it, right? And what do I mean by that? Like, is Tim Ream dangerous on the ball? Well, if you give him too much time and space, he'll make some passes that will screw you over, yeah. right? Even defender. Our fullbacks, they're dangerous. You can't just leave Dest and A-Rob open. They'll give you a lot of trouble. McKinney's dangerous. Yunus Musa is dangerous when he's aggressive. And we see... Yeah. He's more aggressive for the U.S. than Valencia for some reason. Yeah. Gio's always – our forwards are all dangerous, right? Our forwards are all dangerous. That is like the only thing that I criticize Tyler for, and I think people sometimes think it's just Tyler hate, but it's really just a justification. But I'd like to see what you said. See Tyler and Weston playing there because Tyler being there will free up Weston more because Tyler will just take over the defensive duties on his own. And Gio Reyna too will have to defend less because Tyler does all of that hard work. So I am open to seeing that, and I'm interested to see how it performs. A reverse triangle, right? Instead of Tyler playing as a six, you reverse the triangle. Him and Weston play together, and Gio has more freedom to attack. I'm open to seeing that. But, Pete, before we move on to Hudson, the big picture, Nations League semifinals, the summer, Ricardo Pepe, um, he was left out of the World Cup roster. Sargent was there. Jesus and Haji Wright. Pepe was not taken there. He comes into this camp. He scores two goals against Grenada, but again, it's just Grenada. No one cares, right? Um, and I, I, I'm also not going to hype goals against Grenada, just like I didn't hype Jesus. But he comes in against El Salvador, decides it for us. I, I would say the way he finished that goal, that little chip, there's not... Is there any center forward in our player pool that you can really see doing that? Don't count Balogun. He's not there yet. I don't see really Sargent, Haji, Jesus, DK. That's not. That's a clinical finish that I don't really see it with other center forwards in our player pool. It's a lot of composure and skill to finish because it's one thing yeah. to make the run in behind and hold off the player, which Pepe did. A lot of forwards can do that. But to chip it over the keeper with that much composure, he could have just whacked it at goal and hope it went the right way, you know, and maybe got a rebound or maybe it's sneaked between the goalkeeper and the post but there was a lot of composure on that finish to be able to chip it when you're running at speed like that right over the keeper it's not i talked about this with adam on the post game last night it's not a world-class goal but it is a goal that you sometimes see world-class players execute 
And to have that skill set is really nice. And not just the skill set, but the confidence to pull that off. It wasn't like he came on, we were winning 3-0. We needed a goal. We didn't need one, I guess, but we wanted the win. And that was the winning goal. And to be put in that position and execute in that way was really nice to see from a kid who is still just 20 years old. He was also still cold. He had just gotten in the match. It was like yes. one of his, was it his first touch? One of his first touches. I think. might've been his first touch. Yeah, exactly. You just came in, just joined the game and just right away, get that through. Yeah. Those runs, we know uh, a lot of, our, oh, actually that's one thing you can even compliment Jesus. Jesus does get opportunities. So he does make those runs. He finds yeah. place, but then he usually scuffs those moments and misses them or just like doesn't score unless it's Grenada. Uh, DK, Haji, um, Sergeant, I couldn't really see them having that composure and technique um, to finish that. It seems like all three of them would just smack it. Um, no, I, I kind of had Sergeant first on the depth chart at the nine up until now. But I, but I always said Pepe was very close and I'd be fine with either of them. But I do think in this camp, Pepe has made himself probably the number one starter. If, if we go to a semifinal... I would have no problem starting Pepe against Mexico or Canada or whoever it is because I think he's mo the most clinical player right now and he's confident and in form. You made a point to me on the phone that maybe Sargent is better when we're up against a better team because he's better defensively and I can see a case for that, but it's hard to ignore what Pepe is doing now, both for country and club. I mean, to be scoring at the rate he's scoring for one of the worst teams in the, in the Netherlands is no small feat either. You know, don't don't worry, Pete. Balogun will commit, and then it won't be Pepe or Sargent. It'll be Balogun for now, at least. And then the yeah. And if we go to a tournament with a front three of, or not a front three, but the three strikers in the roster are Pepe, uh, Balogun, and Sargent, I have no problem with that. That's a great front three for me. So, do you want me to before we run the? Actually, let me get a quick word from our sponsor. Then I'll talk sure. about uh, what I saw. Um, there with the players, right? Or just some stuff that we can talk about here. I also just but, want to say real quick, Pepe highlighting why he should have been in Qatar. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like right now it's just an, uh, two things that I saw this camp, but I, I was going to talk about on the Anthony Hudson section. It's um, Joe Scali getting less minutes than Shaq Moore was already crazy. And Pepe not being there. And, and again, just that one thing. I don't think Pepe would have been that piece that would have gotten us to beat the Dutch. It would, but if... Sargent went down and Sargent was playing well in the World Cup. Pepe would at least have been a threat against the Dutch. While, yeah. you know, Jesus had to be pulled out at halftime and you had to play Gio Reyna, who had, that had never played as a false nine in his career, at least professionally, I didn't see it, had never played. Just like, hey, 20-year-old, he never played his position. Uh, help us because, you know, the center forward I brought kind of can't play center forward right now. He just doesn't know how to play it. Pepe could have been there. But also games are won and lost in small moments and small margins sometimes, right? Maybe when we're 1-0 down against the Netherlands, a ball is played into Pepe instead of Jesus, and now Pepe holds it up and lays it off for Pulisic and then makes a run through, and all of a sudden it's 1-1, and that changes the confidence and the momentum of the game too. So yeah, we might not have beaten the Dutch even if Pepe was there, but hard to say because we don't know. Right. Maybe we would have lost still, but maybe we would have been, looked more effective up top with Pepe there. And the other crime was not giving Gio minutes until we were two nil down against a very good team and forced him to play in a position that he couldn't play. in. I think that is the problem with the argument some people use when you say, oh, Greg Burhalter didn't play Scali. He left Pepe out. He didn't give Tillman a chance. He didn't bring this guy or that guy. They say 
even if we brought them, do you really think we would have beat the Dutch? That is not the right question. The question is, if we brought them, would our chances of beating the Dutch have gone up? And the answer is yes, by a lot. Yeah. Maybe not a lot, but enough, enough to yeah. have more of a chance. So it's not about like no one can affirm we would have been beat the Dutch. And we probably we probably would not have beat the Dutch, just my opinion. But would would have our chances gone up? Yes. I think yeah. that is not really a debate. But yeah. Uh, quick word from our sponsor, DraftKings, the sponsor here of the podcast, and ready for the underdogs, the upsets, and the unbelievable action from DraftKings Sportsbook. The biggest tournament in college basketball is here. And right now, new customers can bet just $5 in college hoops to get $200 in bonus bets instantly. All you have to do is download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with the code TBPN. That is TBPN. New customers can bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets instantly, win or lose. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with the code TBPN. So thank you once again, DraftKings. And don't forget to use the code TBPN. And if you guys would like to, drop a review in the podcast. It, it helps us rank higher on all these softwares and platforms or whatever. And, you know, we truly appreciate it and blah, blah, blah. But Pete, do you want me to go through very quickly what I learned being there? Sure, sure. So, just for context for everyone, uh, the la I went to a training session, and I, I think we talked about this on the channel. And then Michael Cameron or whoever works there, they didn't want me back. I'm not going to go through that story uh, because that has gone. After, so I went to the game because Johnny got me and his uncle and his family tickets. So I went to the game. After the game, I texted Johnny to see if he wanted to meet up at the hotel before he headed back to Brazil. He told me to come along. We sat there. We talked. So I was at the hotel and all the players were there, right? All the players were there, family members, uh, including Pete, uh, Mr. Claudio Reina and Danielle Reina. They were there. Now, they didn't go to the game. I know for a fact they didn't go to the game. I would assume it's because they probably didn't want like fans like bothering and probably negative attention to Geo, things like that. But Claudio and Daniel Reyna were here in Orlando and they were at the hotel and um, they were just doing their thing. They're on their own, not bothering anyone, you know, not <laughs> not going to talk about that anymore. Uh, and and everything seemed fine. And the, the I talked to a few players. I talked quite a bit to Serginho Dess's dad. Very cool guy. Uh, talked quite a bit to Serginho Dest himself. Uh, talked a bit to Weston. Talked a long time with Johnny and a few other players too. And the first thing, just to make it clear, uh, what I heard from people talking was that Gio and Pulisic, there, there was talks between them and everything's fine. Everything's fine. Uh, so people can end that Pulisic-Gio thing. Uh, heard it from different guys there that were there. And I saw the players there all together. It, it really seemed normal because, you know, sometimes when you see it on the field, the players could be pretending that they get along. And I'm not saying Pulisic and Rain are best friends. I'm not saying that. But clearly there's respect there. And the players said there's absolutely nothing. So people can just move on from that. Stop talking about it. There's no issue between Gio and Pulisic. And they're more than willing to work together, right? Uh, something else that I was hearing there i'm not going to name the players whoever said this but there is a very big optimism with the players about balligan they didn't really go into details in regards to oh he's committed so maybe he already did commit and they just didn't want to say it but the players were very 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 optimistic about balligan even one of them without revealing a name when asked he said that 
what was the word again? It was like, we're going to look spicy this summer, something like that. It's like when asked, like, oh, is Balogun committing? The answer was, we're going to look spicy this summer. That was the answer. Which is great news for us. Yeah. So obviously, I can't confirm that he he he, he like committed, but the players looked very optimistic and Balogun might have told them something. So that was a big positive, actually, this camp, the recruiting of Balogun. I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I've noticed there. I mean, the players looked fine. They they looked like a normal group. Um, and I think the fact that Daniel Reyna and Claudio Reyna were there just walking among other parents, other players. Gio was there. Um, Pulisic was walking around there too. All those guys, Reem, Matt Turner, Johnny, uh, all of them were there, Wes. It kind of tells me that I think this group, this program has moved on from the drama. That's the vibe I got. Uh, and I'm not trying to like end this drama because I just want it to end. I'm just saying what I saw. It looks like this is done. We're over it. And I am I'm strongly believing that Greg Berhalter is officially done. That's what I'll end it. Sorry, say that one more time. I think Greg Berhalter is officially done. Why do you think that? I, I think there's certain things there and certain talks um, of people saying of certain officials from U.S. soccer, their wording was more towards they want to move on from this and they want to try something different. I don't know what that means, but Burhalter is not different. So that that I'll end it on that. Um, that's what people it's were saying. So saying they promising. Saying that they want to try something different to me means it's not with Burhalter. Uh, but that's all. Also, I think Claudio Reyna, Daniel Reyna being there is a sign of like the Burhalter era is kind of gone. That's what I think. I, I don't. Th Let's put it this way. If there was some involvement with Burhalter still in the program, I feel like Anthony Hudson would have played a bit more how Burhalter was continuing right his cycle. I also believe that Claudio Reyna and Daniel Reyna wouldn't been wouldn't have been there. I think you would have thought the same. I don't think Gio Reyna would have been there. That that one's a question mark, but Claudio and Danielle definitely would have been there. There's no way you can put Burhalter and those two in the same room right now. Uh, but is it possible that he wasn't there in camp, but that they're still thinking of renewing him? Like if Burhalter wasn't there. It's definitely possible. I didn't go to anyone in U.S. soccer and them straight up tell me, he's like, oh, he's gone. I didn't, I don't have that. I'm just saying the conversations and what I heard being around there, and I wasn't there the whole camp. It was one night, right? It kind of made it seem like that 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 ship has sailed. Um, it it kind of made, and I I think that's what we should probably go on with right now. But with that, I don't want to talk much more about this right now. But let's go through to Anthony Hudson because I know you want to talk about him quite a bit, and I also want to talk about because I'm not Hudson in, and I think we need to sign a good name for this cycle. This cycle is too important. But I'll say that Anthony Hudson has gained my respect in many different aspects this camp, many different aspects. Uh, again, not Hudson in. What I'm saying is we sign a big name, we sign a good name, a realistic good name, and I would kind of want Hudson to stay um, with the program um, regardless of the summer so far. But go ahead and take the mic from here for Anthony Hudson. Well, I guess when Hudson was announced as the interim coach for the next six months, I was really disheartened because I felt like this was going to be a continuation of business as usual, that he's a, it was a Burhalter assistant. He spoke very, you know, well of Burhalter in the past. And I thought, so we're just going to run out the four, three, three, 
It's going to be the same old, you know, tactics, the same old formation. Nothing's going to change. We're not going to see improvement or progress. He may or may not bring Geo back. But it's been a pleasant surprise in this camp, right? That A, he tried a different, he brought Geo back into camp. He actually went to Germany and talked to Geo himself. And I think that was the right move to try and move past all of this. He's spoken glowingly of Geo in this camp. And then he was willing to try the 4-2-3-1, a different formation that Burhalter never used. He was willing to try Geo in camp uh, to start him at the, at the 10, which is his best position. So we've known for a long time. He was willing to, you know, help recruit Zendejas and bring him in and even start him and, you know, brought in Taylor Booth as well, brought in a lot of guys who deserved an opportunity, started Joe Scally, right? Um, I just think, and, and not just that the... Ricardo Pepe mentioned it too. He said, we're going to have more freedom to create and improvise in the final third, which was the opposite of Burhalter, where they had to follow instructions and, you know, this is your instructions to do this in this moment and it's very rigid. Yeah, just that what you just said there about Ricardo Pepe. Look at the different comments. He talked about Anthony Hudson giving him freedom, while Burhalter once, when he talked about Pepe, didn't he say something, I don't need my striker to score five goals. I need him to play with my system. Like, so it's like yeah. my system above everything. While Anthony Hudson, it's more. It seems like it's more get the player. Now, obviously, you do need a coach with a bit more qualifications, experience that can adapt. And 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 this is not a big sample size to judge Anthony Hudson. But you said everything you said is like much more th better than we expected. Yeah, and even just the way he speaks and the way he carries himself. Like I don't want to roll my eyes when he opens his mouth. I feel like with Greg. There was at least one comment every camp that you're just like, what is he saying? Whether it's his comments about Memphis Depay or our dominant performance after the Canada game. Like, there was always some weird thing he would say that would just make you go, huh? And then, no, you know, no weird bounce passes on the sidelines. No, you know, mugs. No taking selfies with fans. Like, it was just, I never enjoyed this sort of look at me side of Burhalter that, you know, he wanted the attention and the spotlight to be on him. With Hudson, it's always about the players. He's, he, you said it in the last stream we did. He, he seems like an adult on the touchline, right? He's there yeah, coaching the game, like and that's it. You know, he's coaching the game, and he's doing his job. And and that's, it's a different, it's like some dignity back in the on the touchlines, because I'm sorry, but some of Burhalter's touchline behavior and press conference behavior i felt was very childish you know yeah i mean there, there's that too because remember a coach or a manager right as they would say in europe he is the leader of the group truly right you have the leaders that are the players the captains right the tyra adams the pulisics the mckinney's but the true leader of the group is the head coach he's the guy that's like in charge of the boat and if you are very soft and acting like a kid and weird behavior and making players cringe, I mean, what does that speak of your team? Usually teams embrace, you know, the, the personality of the coach, right? Yeah. That's why Atletico Madrid is known for playing a bit dirty. They're very like Simeone like, right? And then Pep Guardiola, the players he has are very Pep Guardiola like. They usually get that personality over time. And Greg Berhalter was with the United States for long enough that at times it seemed like we embraced that personality. And I'm not saying that Hudson is the personality I would want, but at least like he seems like an actual adult in charge trying to get things right. Um, is he the most qualified? Probably not. Probably not. But everything that he did this camp, I mostly enjoyed. And, and, and like you said, it's been a while since we had a camp 
where, I mean, the press conferences didn't bother me. His behavior in the sideline didn't bother me. The player selection, I don't have much to, I don't have anything to complain about his player selection. No, um, it was the, a very the, good roster and good the lineup. The subs in the game too, there's really, I, I don't see anything to complain about. Um, it's been a while since we had a camp like this. Uh, like Burhalter, we would have sometimes like a game that we wouldn't complain much, right? A game that would be okay. Yeah. Uh, but a full camp, this I I don't really remember when was the last time actually. It might it might have been not even in the previous cycle because that one was horrible. I I don't know. I don't know. Um, maybe the Sarah Chen era that we didn't maybe care at all. Yeah. I, I think the best way to sum up Anthony Hudson's performance in this camp is is this way. He puts players in positions to be successful. He sets up the team to be successful and then lets them do their thing, as opposed to the micromanaging and joysticking of Greg Berhalter. And I think that's all we were asking for for many years under Berhalter. Just let the players play their best, put your best players in their best positions, give them some basic tactical instructions and a good shape, and then let them cook. And that's how national teams should be run. That's how the best national teams are run. And I think that's what Hudson is doing so far. And it's early days. We have one camp. We have to see how he does in the Nations League, in the Gold Cup. But there's a lot to appreciate about the dignity and the fairness and the player-centric management style that he's brought so far. But I want to also add that we're talking about, let's talk about El Salvador again real quick, which we kind of touched upon this. He got the same result uh, that Burhalter got at home, and it, it felt like it could he could have had more goals, right? It felt like it could have had more goals, but nevertheless, at the end of the day, it was 1-0, just like Burhalter, because Burhalter probably could have got more goals too if he yeah. didn't pick a center forward that can't finish or two center forwards that can't finish. But the difference is Burhalter, when he got that 1-0 win, he was already three years in charge of the team. They, he yeah. already had something going. I know Anthony Hudson was already around before, but the way Hudson put these players to play, it was the first time we've seen them play this way. It was the first time this system, a more fluid system on a 4-2-3-1 formation. Wes and Moose in a double pivot. We didn't see that before. It was much different. So the result was the same, but something very new. And you kind of pointed that out earlier in the podcast. If you continue to play like this long enough and the players start to build a bit more chemistry here and there, and, and this camp started off a bit awkward with the whole Pulisic Reina thing that they probably had to work it out during camp and you pull a result the same as Burhalter, right? Um, didn't really give El Salvador much of a chance. I think El Salvador had what one shot on target the whole game. I think that's it. Maybe. Uh, I, I thought it was very positive. The thing with Hudson, I think just going back to what you're saying, the best way I would put this Hudson era, that's going to be short. It's going to end soon is I was expecting nothing out of it. I was expecting like it was going to be horrible. It's just going to be, we're not going to get anything. It's just going to be, let's go through it. Let's get over with this. We'll get a new coach. And hopefully from there we can build something. But Anthony Hudson managed to get Gio Reyna back right away. So he plays a big role here on kind of ending this Gio Reyna Burhalter saga. Brought him back, played him. Like the kids start both games. We're good there. Um, gave Pulisic a boost of confidence to Pulisic. This team is still, I wouldn't say yours, but you're still the man here. Keep it going. Um, he recruited Zendejas, right? Yeah. Burhalter played a big role in Zendejas too. Give credit where it's due, but he closed it, right? He's Anthony also been Hudson. in touch with Balogun 
and been in touch with Balogun. One of the reasons he was here, you know. Balogun met with him here. Uh, yeah. Balogun met with a lot of the players here. Um, so he's in touch with that. So for a coach that we were expecting absolutely nothing to get the two wins in Nations League, to see the Gio Reyna saga put to rest, to close the commitment of Alejandro Zendejas, to make a big step forward in regards to the recruitment of floating Balogun. I I think like I, it's already far more than I expected from Anthony Hudson. So congratulations to him, seriously. But I was just going to say, is there anything else um, that you want to talk about in regards to Hudson? Or do you want to quickly talk about maybe the semifinals of Nations League? Yeah, well, really, that's what I wanted to say. I'm looking forward to seeing what he has in store for us come the semifinals and the final. Because that will be, those will be tough games, whoever we play, whether it's Mexico, Canada, Costa Rica. It's going to be tough. And that's we'll get more data on Hudson and how he can manage a game and, you know, how he sets us up to be successful. So we'll learn more as we go along. This is not all praise Hudson. You know, he's the guy. No, it's there are some encouraging signs and I can't wait to see more. If there's no Adams in the Nations League games, which it seems like there won't be, I think we're likely to see another 4-2-3-1. I think we're likely to see another double pivot with Gio at the 10, provided, you know, he's healthy. I think Pepe deserves a start in one in that game, in my opinion. Pepe or Sargent, but wait, probably one question, Pepe. one question for you. Pepe definitely earned that start. You are one hundred percent right, right there. But if Balogun commits, he starts right away. You don't yes. even even yes. if that pisses off Pepe, it's like sorry, but Balogun starting. I mean, this is what it means. If we really want to be a nation that competes with the best nations in the world, we have to change our mentality. We're going to have talent throughout the entire roster. There will be guys sitting on the bench that would have been locked in starters for us three years ago. But this is where we're headed as a program. More talent, more depth, more competition. Balogun raises our ceiling. He just does. He raises our, he makes us better. And you don't want him to get too comfortable either, which is why you need Pepe and Sargent pushing for that spot, right? Because if Balogun has an off day, you can pull him off and bring somebody else on. Or heck, injuries, man. Like there's never been a camp where we had everybody healthy. So there will be injuries, and now it's okay. I don't freak out about injuries anymore because we have cover. I mean, we had Wea and Adams both injured for this camp, and we were just fine without them. So that's a good thing. I don't think it's – some people are saying, oh, we're forgetting about Pepe. I don't think we're forgetting about Pepe. I think we just want more talent in every position and more depth and more competition. You want to have that because, like like you said, Valigan can have a day off. Valigan can also have an injury. Then what? You're done? You don't have anyone that's reliable. You all, Balogun might be on a day off, and you send in Pepe as a real player, or or Pepe could surpass him. Who knows? And then Pepe start. Pepe will have to fight for that position. The thing that people think is like you forgot that we forgot that player. The fan base when Pepe committed to the U.S. It was never guaranteed anything. He committed to the U.S. and now you're gonna have to grind out every day to be the starter right there. It's not like okay, you committed now you're going to be the locked-in starter, regardless of how you're playing. If there's a better option, so be it. It is what it is. I'm open to seeing even a two-striker formation at one point. A 4-4-2 diamond is an option. That's another option. We know Wes can play a bit wide. We know Musa can play a bit wide. You know Tyler Adams can play. And you can start maybe Balogun and Pulisic up top with Gio at the 10 or alternate. Because we also need to have formations for situations where Pulisic's not available. Reyna, they can get injured. They're not superhuman. Yeah. Uh, so that's what we need to see. And, and again, with Burhalter was always a 4-3-3, regardless of who was available. It didn't matter. That, that's how – because it's the system, right? It's the system. So 
the system keeps going regardless of who's here. He just forget forgets the little, you know, very important aspect that our depth is not that crazy. Like the drop off from Pulisic to like his favorite Ariola was abysmal, was massive, right? I know our floor is raising, so the gap is getting lower from our top players to the the, the reserves. But there's still a gap, obviously. Our stars, well, that's for any team, if we're being completely honest. Yeah, about for it. sure. But so just to just to finalize here the podcast, um, we play in Nations League semifinals. I think it's June 15th in Vegas, and then the finals June 18th if we qualify. At the time of this recording, once again, we don't know. We can be playing Canada, Mexico, Honduras, Costa Rica, Panama. It depends on the results. Hopefully, we don't play Mexico in the semifinals, so it can maybe be another U.S.-Mexico final. Those are always fun. Uh, but last but not least, I think one thing we can ask, uh, just talk about here. Um, if Anthony Hudson finalizes the recruitment of Balogun, he wins Gold Cup, he wins Nations League, and you see some progress throughout those tournaments with the formation, the players, is there any um, scenario where you would consider keeping him from this cycle as the head coach? Assistant, we've all agreed that he kind of should be, depending on how things go. Is there any scenario that you would accept it or you would think that it makes sense to keep him? I think the only scenario where you bring Hudson back is where you've really done your homework and tried to recruit the top managers and the better options that are available right now. And there are plenty of them that are out of work and that we should be talking to. And if all... Pete, I think you're muted. You're muted. And not just turn you down, but turn you down with a really strong offer. Then you have to look at domestic options and he does all of the right things in the next six months. Then, yeah, he should be in consideration. But I'll repeat what I've said before. This is the most important cycle in American soccer history. And I think getting the coach right, not even a, just a good coach or, or a decent coach or a fine coach, but a guy who has experience internationally, experience at a high level, a proven track record of winning Right. Maybe we're not going to get the peps or the Pochettinos of the world. That's understandable or the Zidans. But there's a whole tier of managers below that that I think are realistic. And if none of those guys want the job because of whatever reason, then OK, I would probably consider Hudson in the same vein as a as a Jim Curtin, you know, someone like that. I would rather have Hudson back than Burhalter. I think it's time to move on from Burhalter. But I think we should pump the brakes. On, on on Hudson as the head coach because I think we can do better and I think it's part of our raising our expectations as a fan base and as a soccer culture to to understand that to be successful you have to get, go and get the best and that means players coaches uh, administrative staff we want to be as successful as we can be in this cycle and I think that means going for the best available option if that's Hudson I'll take it I probably won't be thrilled but I think we can do better I'll end it by saying there is no scenario for me, unless it's like a Burhalter return, that I would want Hudson to be the head coach of this cycle. Uh, I want us to bring a strong name. I don't know who that would be. Um, Herb Renard apparently just left Saudi Arabia, and he's going to head to like French's women's national team right now. Uh, I would not want Hudson to be the coach of the cycle. I would very much want him to be an assistant coach. And maybe if we have a successful cycle with him being an assistant coach of a very good coach, and we do well, I'll be okay with him maybe the coach being the coach of the ne next cycle, right? But this one, I think it's too important, too big. We need a guy with experience uh, because that is very important that knows how to 
man manage. We don't know. Hudson might be able to do that, but it's such a big gamble, right? There's no proven track record. It's too risky. He might even be good. It's just too much risk, right? Too many unknowns for a very crucial cycle in U.S. soccer's history. But I'll end it at that. Pete, is there any final thoughts you want to say before I close the podcast? No, that's it. I'm just looking forward to the Nations League semifinal. Me too. Looking forward to it very much. The season's going to end in Europe very soon. And then we're going to go to Nations League, Gold Cup. It's going to be a very fun summer. And then we also have the U20 World Cup that I don't think it's going to get canceled. There's some issues in Indonesia. It seems like it might change to Peru. It'll happen. Don't worry. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. Don't forget to drop a review if you enjoyed this podcast. And a great way to help is also to share it with other U.S. men's national team fans. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye.